Good morning. Welcome to all of you that are gathered here in the sanctuary this morning, along with those listening on radio and watching us on Facebook Live. Thank you for joining us this morning at First Church for worship. I do have several announcements before we start our service this morning. This morning we're pleased to have Kay at the organ and her sister Jane Shoemaker on the piano. So we want to thank both of them for joining in our worship service this morning. We have roses on the altar this morning. We only have one back here. We're supposed to have two. So we will take care of this problem sometime later this week. But they are to honor two couples in our congregation who are celebrating 50-plus years of marriage today. Or not today, tomorrow, August 1st. First are Ed and Becky Rohrbaugh who will be celebrating 52 years of marriage on August 1st. And the second one is Ted and Carolyn Lammers, who will also be celebrating 51 years of marriage on August 1st also. So congratulations to both couples. I do want to make mention Vacation Bible, or not Vacation Bible School, Junior and Senior High Bible Study, will take place this afternoon at 1 o'clock at our house. I assume when I say our house, for those listening on radio, that's Jack and Sarah Shrelicky's house. So I'd like to see you there. Bring your lawn chairs, and I hope to see you all there today at 1 o'clock. That concludes my announcements today. Those who are able, would you please rise and join me in our call to worship this morning? This morning it is taken from Psalm 27, verse 1 verses 4 and 5, and verses 13 and 14. Please read along with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask from the Lord, the only thing do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And this morning, number 405, my faith has found a resting place.
everybody this morning. Uh, kind of so-so. Scoot over here. I've got some things to show you. All the way over here. Scoot, 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 scoot. What's a lifesaver? What's a lifesaver? Courtney, what's a lifesaver? Huh? A piece of candy. I'm glad Mr. Hirschfeld knew that. Well, also, if you're around on a boat, what do you have to wear? A life jacket, a lifesaver. Right. I could have used one last night. I went fishing and kind of took a dip in the drink. (laughs) So, in this bag, I have four things that might be considered lifesavers. Okay. Tell me what... This is. That's a $5. Yeah. That's money. That represents money. What does money do for us? Buy stuff. What kind of stuff do you need to live? Food. You got it. Water. Electric. Clothes. Your house. But sometimes if you don't have money, can't buy everything, can it? No, it, it just it, it can't provide everything for your life. It just can't it just can't do it all. But it it helps a little bit. Okay, now tell me what this is. Medicine. Does medicine help us? There's all kinds of things in medicine. People that have surgeries or vaccinations or take medicine, you know, like this. To make them feel better so their life on earth is longer. So that that helps too, but does it do it all? Does did medicine do everything? No. What else do we have in here? <gasps> family. Does family help your life? They're there to help you if you need help or be saved or provide you with food and everything like that and love. But can they do it all? No, they can't do it all. (sighs) Who can do it all? God and Jesus. He can do it all. And you know the neatest thing about it is? He does it forever. All those other things, money and medicine and family, they're only here. They can only do so much. So when our life ends on earth, Jesus, who died on the cross, gave us a ticket into where? Heaven. The only way we can get to heaven and God is through Jesus. Jesus gives us eternal life. Life that doesn't end. And that is the best lifesaver we have. Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us your Son to save us, that when our time on earth is done, that we have the opportunity and the privilege to come to you in heaven. We love Jesus. We know he paid the price for the ticket for us to spend eternal life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Carolyn. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. For those of you in the sanctuary with us today, you notice the famous blue jug is back here on the steps at the front of the areas in southeast Kentucky have experienced some pretty severe flooding. Uh, the most recent update I heard yesterday afternoon is that there's 25 confirmed uh, deaths associated with the flooding and possibly still more. That number may still rise. Homes and vehicles and other buildings have been destroyed and swept away and um, just a very tragic situation. And so in addition to our offering this morning, if you would like to give towards the disaster relief efforts that are happening in that area, uh, that's what the Blue Jug is for. Uh, Samaritan's Purse Disaster Aid Fund, uh, which we often use uh, for situations like this, is going to be, if if they're not already there, are planning to be there to help in disaster relief efforts. And so um, if in addition to our offering today, uh, if you'd like to give to Samaritan's Purse Disaster Aid Fund, uh, specifically for the help that they'll be providing in southeastern Kentucky. We encourage you to do that today. 
Our offering this morning does go to support uh, an organization called Eight Days of Hope. This is one of our new ones this year. So if you're not familiar with it, Eight Days of Hope is an organization in a similar vein to Samaritan's Purse Disaster Aid Relief. Um, They're a nonprofit organization based out of Mississippi. They provide nationwide response to disasters and also assist in rebuilding homes and communities um, and building homes for survivors of human trafficking and have created a network to distribute building materials, furniture, and appliances to those in need. The organization was founded in 2005 after Hurricane Katrina, and uh, and it was started as an idea for the few people to go help rebuild homes in the Gulf Coast and has continued on to become a movement that has touched thousands of lives. And so our gift today and our designated offering will go to support Eight Days of Hope. So whether you support Eight Days of Hope through the offering or also Samaritan's Purse through the Blue Jug, your gifts today will go to help those who are in need. So I encourage, our, I invite our deacons to come forward for the offering this morning and encourage you to give as you feel led.
I was just having a conversation with someone uh, this week about the importance of prayer. Unfortunately, sometimes we fall into this habit of when all else fails, pray. But that's not the attitude that we as Christians should have. Our first response in times of need, our first response in moments of joy and, and thankfulness should be to pray. And the, re- the reason why prayer is so important and the reason why prayer is so powerful is because Jesus is alive. He lives today and he hears us and responds when we pray. And our next hymn reminds us of that reality. It's number 220 in our hymnals. He lives. I invite you to sing with us today. you to pray with me. Father God, we are grateful 
for the opportunity to gather here in worship today. And the only reason we do so, Lord, the reason that brings us here to this place at this time is because your son, Jesus Christ, died and rose again for us. He died to conquer death and sin, and he rose again to open eternal life to all who believe in him. And so we gather here today to worship our risen, our living Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you laid down your life for us and that you were raised to life again and that you invite all of us, you invite each of us to trust in you, to receive your salvation, to receive new life and to live eternally with you. We also thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us in our lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you nurture in us the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, so we may live like Christ and serve your church to the best of our abilities. And so we thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for for your presence in our lives, for your work in our lives. And we thank you, God, that you have redeemed us and saved us. We lift up this day uh, all of the the concerns that we carry in with us. We think of the the names and the families that are represented on our prayer list this week. Uh, For those who are in need of healing, we ask that you would work through extraordinary and ordinary means, Lord, to bring about healing in their lives. For those who need guidance and provision, we ask, Lord, that you would provide like only you can. And for other needs, Lord, that we are not aware of, we ask for your will to be done in those situations. You know the intimate details of our lives even better than we do, Lord. And so we ask that you would work in us according to your good and perfect and pleasing will. We pray especially this day for the the people of southeastern Kentucky that are affected by this flooding. Uh, Homes and property destroyed, lives have been lost, and so much has been literally swept away, Lord, uh, with the, the coming floods. And so we ask, Lord, that you would provide for those who are in need, that you would be a comfort for those who are, so, who are in sorrow. Uh, be with those who are leading relief and rescue efforts, first responders and other organizations like Samaritan's Purse that step in and help those in need. Lord, be with the churches in that area that they may be the hands and feet of Christ in the middle of this disaster. And Lord, we ask that you would that you would provide and use us and use other churches like ours, Lord, who aren't directly affected, but help us to come alongside those people in southeastern Kentucky through our monetary gifts, but also, Lord, our prayers. And may you work in and through these gifts, Lord, to accomplish your will. Lord, we pray for those in authority over us as you call us to do and We pray for our president and Congress and Supreme Court this day, as well as other elected and appointed officials at the national level. We ask for your guidance and wisdom in their lives. We ask that they would have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness, that they would be satisfied. And we also pray for our church family here in New Knoxville. Lord, we we think especially today of the the radio ministry and and the Facebook ministry, Lord. We thank you that We thank you for those that are gathered here in this place. And we thank you, Lord, that we are able to reach out and extend out beyond the walls of our church and reach those who are shut in or in nursing homes or or anyone who just happens to be listening that may not have direct connections here to the church. We thank you for the opportunity we have to proclaim your word and proclaim your praises uh, through those those ministries, Lord. And so we, we lift all these things up to you and pray them in the the holy and wonderful and beautiful name of Jesus, praying as he taught his disciples how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. The scripture reading this morning comes from John 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you, Tracy. Let's pray together again. Father, as we now turn to your word, we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide and direct our hearts and our minds and our attitudes. Help us to set aside any distractions that may get in the way this morning from us hearing your word. And may your Holy Spirit work in us what is good and pleasing according to your will. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you give me words to speak. May the words of my mouth and my Redeemer. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Before I just dive headlong into the sermon here this morning, I want to take a moment and thank uh, Jack Shrolicky for sharing the message last week while I was away at my conference. Uh, I see you just couldn't get enough of being up here and decided to be lay leader this morning too as well. Um, but thank you, Jack, for your, your message last week and be your willingness to share what God has been doing in your life and placed on your heart and, and of course, your willingness to, to serve as lay leader again here this morning. So thank you, Jack. And um, look forward to maybe hearing from you again someday. Um, but it was a great to be away, great to be at my conference. I realized while I was there, uh, this is the, I attended uh, the Four Seas Conference. The Four Seas is the denomination that I am ordained with. And um, due to the pandemic and previous circumstances, I had not been able to attend that conference since 2018. So it was great to reconnect with uh, many people I hadn't seen in a while, as well as uh, be encouraged through the teaching and workshops that were there. So I am very grateful for the opportunity I had to be away and to attend that conference. But we're back here today and we're jumping back into our sermon series about, about who Jesus is, right? Again, just to refresh your mind, we're, we're answering that question that Jesus posed to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And we've worked through many uh, many answers to that already. We've looked at how Jesus is our, is our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord. Two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus acts as our good shepherd. And today we are going to be looking at how Jesus is our life, our very source of life. Tracy just read from John chapter 1, which is really going to kind of springboard us into several other passages that are found in the Gospel of John, because one of the main themes of the Gospel of John that we see over and over and over again is that Jesus offers us eternal life. And so we're going to start in John chapter 1, but if you have Bibles with you today, whether your own or the Pew Bible, I do encourage you to follow along with me because we're going to look at several other passages as well. But let's start in John 1. Again, these perhaps very familiar words opening John's Gospel in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This Word that John is talking about is Jesus, the Son of God. And we know that because in John 1.14, just a few verses later, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this word that John is talking about that was God and was with God in the beginning is the Son of God, Jesus incarnate. Right? The, the, Jesus is the Son of God incarnate. And so the Son of God is by nature God and existed with God from the beginning alongside the Father and the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say that everything that we see in, in this universe was created through him and by him. In fact, it says that nothing in all of creation was created outside of Jesus. Everything was created in and through the Son of God. Paul puts it a different way in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's a key phrase there, all things, right? That's a very inclusive statement, right? There is nothing outside of that. All things are created through him and for him. And in him all things are held together. In other words, Jesus is the very source of everything that we see, visible and invisible. Everything comes from him. And then here we see back in John chapter 1, him expanding on that again. Verse 4, in him was life, 
and that life was the light of mankind. You see, so far what we've talked about is simple existence, physical existence. Everything we see from, from animals to plants to inanimate objects like rocks, right, come from Jesus. So when we talk about how he created everything, at, a, at one level we're speaking just simply of physical existence. But we see here that he also grants life, right? Physical life and, as we'll see in a moment, spiritual life as well. And we see that it says the life is the light of all mankind. There's this connection between life and light here that is important to recognize. And, and we're actually going to talk about how Jesus is the light of the world next week, so I don't want to go too far off in that direction. But it's important to notice the connection between light and life in our natural world. Light is necessary for practically all living things to exist and flourish. With very few exceptions, and I mean like bacteria on the bottom of the ocean floor, with very few exceptions, life would not exist without light. You see, plants use light for the process called photosynthesis, which is how they create food and energy for themselves. And all animal life either eats plants or they eat animals that eat plants, right? And so that's how they get their food and energy. So from that perspective, all life, with very few exceptions, depends on the light from the sun. But we'll talk more about light and, and what that all means next week. Now, for, for today's purposes, we want to focus on life and how God is the giver of all life. If everything came into physical existence through him, then we also know that he is the giver of all life as well. And we see that depicted in a very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like a visual way in Genesis chapter 2. When, when God forms Adam out of the dust of the earth and then breathes life into his nostrils. We also see that in Ezekiel 37, in the vision of the dry, valley of dry bones, that, that God is the source of life there. As, as these bones come together, there is no life in them until the Spirit of God moves in them to bring life. And so when we talk about how uh, we talk about life, we must understand that all life is precious, according to Scripture. All human life, from womb to tomb, is worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. We must also understand that we're, again, talking about more than physical existence here. The life that God gives human beings is substantially different than, than the other kind of life that we see existing in plants and animals. Right? Human beings are unique in that we are made in the image of God. Do you know that there is nothing else in, in all of creation that is said to be made in the image of God? No animals, not plants, not even the angels themselves are made in the image of God. Only human beings. That is what's unique about us. And that's also what was lost at the fall. Right? As, as God breathed life into Adam and created Eve in Genesis chapter 2, we see it didn't take too long for them to fall to the temptation of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. And so when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, death entered the world. Both physical death and spiritual death. And so Jesus came to save us from our sin, to save us from death. Jesus came to conquer death and to give eternal life to all who believe. And so that's what, we talk, that's what we mean here when we say that Jesus is the source of life. On, on one level, we understand that everything was created by him and through him and for him. But on a, on a deeper level, life, but of spiritual life or of eternal life as well. And that is what Jesus came to restore through his death and his resurrection. And I said, we're going to take some time now to kind of jump through the gospel of John. So if you are following along with me, I encourage you first to turn to John chapter 14. We're going to read verse 6. There's two things I want to share with you before we read this next passage. It's going to kind of be a, a theme we'll see running throughout of these next few verses that we read. One is, is we'll see that, um, that Jesus is the beginning 
the middle, and the end of eternal life. And you'll, you'll understand what I mean by that as we work through this. But, but Jesus is the source of life, gives eternal life through the beginning, middle, and end of our lives. And, and the second thing that we will see is that God often uses physical means to demonstrate a spiritual reality. And again, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But note those two things as we journey through these passages together. And so from John 14, 6, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus, eternal life begins with Jesus. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only source of eternal life. And he gives eternal life to those who are spiritually dead. I want to jump to one other passage. Feel free to stay in John or follow with me to Ephesians chapter 2. But Paul more clearly explains for us what it means between what it means from going to spiritual death to spiritual life. In Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 1, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us with him in the heavenly Excuse me, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Just very quickly, notice the flow of this argument here. In verses 1 through 3, Paul says that every person is dead in sins. Right? By nature, we are deserving of God's wrath towards sin. And so we are dead in our sins, spiritually dead. And the thing about dead people is they can't save themselves, can they? They can't help themselves. A very sick person might be able to help themselves. But a dead person can do nothing to change their state of existence. But then he goes on to say in verses 4 through 10 that, that God brings the dead to life through Christ. And it's not because of anything we've done to deserve it. It's based completely on his love, his grace, and his mercy. It is a gift of God that we receive by faith. You see, Christianity is not about self-help. It's not about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive, right? That's what our faith is about. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He made the spiritually dead become alive in him. Remember I talked about the the connection between the physical and the spiritual, right? Just as God created all things and gave all things physical existence in Christ, God also gives us spiritual life through his death and his resurrection. He gives eternal life to all who believe in him. He is the only source, our only way to the Father. So Jesus is the beginning of our eternal life. He is also what I call the middle of our eternal life. He sustains our life through a personal relationship with him. And for that, we want to turn to John chapter 6. Now, it's important to set the stage here. We're going to read just a couple verses of a longer passage. In John chapter 6, it begins with him feeding the 5,000, right? One of the most famous miracles of Christ with just a few loaves and fish. And then he goes on to have this conversation with the crowd there about how he is the bread of life. In verses, excuse me, verses 32 excuse me, 35, it says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Right? 
Jesus says he's the bread of life. And, and he's, he's referencing the, the miracle that he just accomplished by feeding the 5,000. He also talks here about how God had provided bread from heaven during Israel's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. That bread was called manna, right? It was, it was you go back and read in, in, in the Old Testament, the, this bread was found on the ground every morning. Like the dew covered the ground. The people would walk out of their tents and find this bread from heaven and they would collect enough for that day to feed themselves and their family. They're only supposed to collect enough for the day. Any extra manna would be spoiled by the next morning. And that manna throughout their 40 years sustained them each and every day. In fact, manna became a sign of God's provision and his faithfulness to his people. After their wilderness wanderings, as, as they entered in the promised land, God instructed them to take some manna and place it in a jar and put it within the ark as a, as alongside the, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments and Aaron's staff to remind them of God's faithfulness and provision. They always had enough to eat and drink. They always had their, their clothes and their sandals didn't wear out during that time. In fact, reflecting on this time period, right before they entered the promised land, Moses tells the people this in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 5 and 6. He says, during the, the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did your sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. Again, physical provision is good, and it's a, it's a sign of God's spiritual provision. Right? Christ not only grants eternal life to all who believe, he sustains eternal life in us as well. Right? John 6:35, those who are in Christ will never hunger or thirst again. They will always be satisfied. In fact, Jesus expands on that idea in the surrounding verses, right? That those who, who come to him will never be turned away, right? He's not going to lose any of those that the father has given him. That idea there is what's known as the, the perseverance of the saints, that Jesus will never turn his people away, that he will never lose them, that he will sustain you to the very end. If you have given your life to Christ, if, he has, if you've been born again, if you've been saved, then Jesus will sustain you through his presence and his grace to the very end. And near the end of the chapter in verses 53 through 58, he goes on to say that, that those who want to receive eternal life must eat his, body, eat his flesh and drink his blood. Nowadays, we look at that and, and, and it's an obvious of the bread and the sharing of the cup. But to them, it sounded outrageous, right? Jesus said we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. But think about what happens when your body eats food, right? It's a, it's a process that, that we must go through to sustain our physical life. We eat food in order to absorb life-sustaining nutrients into our body. We need regular food and water intake in order to survive, right? And our health cannot be maintained by having one meal a week or only having one glass of water a week, right? We can't sustain good physical health by starving ourselves, and the same is true for us spiritually. We need to regularly consume Christ in order to be spiritually healthy. And I'm not here just talking about communion. That's one way we're reminded of God's grace and his goodness. But there's so much more we need to do to regularly consume, to maintain our relationship with him. And, and we go to these things all the time. Bible reading, prayer, right? corporate worship, the Christian community that God has placed us in. Those are all ways that we can regularly maintain our relationship with Christ, maintain our connection with him. There's other practices as well, forgotten practices like fasting and silence and service that can also nourish our souls so we can maintain our connection to Christ. In other words, we need to develop a regular rhythm of Christian life. Sunday morning only Christianity isn't going to sustain us. We need to be in his word, maintaining our relationship with him in a regular rhythm. 
We also, we also need to avoid junk food and empty calories too, right? Healthy, uh, healthy diet doesn't just consist of bags of chips and cake and ice cream all the time, right? We need to eat food that is healthy and nourishing to us. In the same way, we need to make sure we're spending our time consuming what is good and healthy for our souls. So Jesus is the source of the beginning and middle of our lives. He is also at the end of our lives as well. And for this, I invite you to flip over to John chapter 11. I'm going to read. This is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And and for our purposes today, I'm just going to read verses 25 and 26 for us. Jesus speaking to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, Lazarus had been dead for four days. He was Mary and Martha's brother, one of Jesus' best friends. And Jesus here is arriving on the scene, and he's about to bring Lazarus back to life. I heard a comedian give a, a, give a bit recently about looking at this from Lazarus's perspective, right? We often look at this from the perspective of Mary and Martha, right? They were grieving over the loss of their brother, and he's restored to life for them. But imagine what Lazarus must have been going through. Four days in heaven, right? Four days in the presence of the Lord. And then suddenly he's being called back to earth. I don't know if I'd want to go back, right? I'd want to remain in the presence of the Lord. But that's what Jesus does. Jesus restores him to life. And as with everything we've talked about so far, the physical act of raising Lazarus from the dead points to an even greater spiritual reality that God has promised us eternal resurrection life in Christ. Jesus conquered death when he died on the cross. And Revelation 1 tells us that Jesus holds the key to death in Hades. In other words, he has authority over death itself. And all who trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord will also be resurrected to eternal life. This gives us hope in the face of adversity. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a terminal diagnosis or chronic illness or pain. Jesus grants us eternal resurrection life. Hope not just for this life, but for the life to come as well. A sentiment I hear over and over and over again as I talk to individuals and families going through difficult times. The sentiment I hear over and over again is, I don't know how people can face the trials of life the prospect of our own mortality without Jesus by their side. I was told once that the Christian does not lose their battle with cancer, right? We hear that conversation all the time, right? When someone dies of cancer, we say, well, they lost their battle. But know that the Christian doesn't lose their battle with cancer or any other illness or disease. Cancer does not win. Death does not win. Jesus has already won. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? Right? Because the victory has already been won by Christ on the cross. So therefore, not even death can separate us from him. That's what Paul says in Romans 8, 38 and 39. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where our hope is. Jesus is the beginning, the middle, and the end of eternal life, which means he brings us with him into eternal life. And one day we'll all experience what Revelation 21 describes, a dwelling place with the Lord where there is no more sin or the effects of sin, where God himself will wipe away our tears. That is our eternal hope. In closing, I want to say, just remember that eternal life is, is greater than our physical mortal, mortal life in terms of both quantity and quality. All right, we often focus on the quantity side, right? Eternal life is never-ending. It's going to go on and on forever. Ecclesiastes says that God has placed eternity in the human heart, which means that God has created us to live forever with him. But eternal life is also greater in quality 
It is more abundant. It is more blessed. And it begins not just when we die, begins the moment you put your trust in Christ. Eternal life is both an anticipated future existence as well as a present experience. It's something we look forward to in the future, but also experience now in the present. So I want to encourage you, you can experience eternal life in Christ here and now. You can experience the life that Christ gives now. And we can talk all the ways that you can experience that. There's probably lots of directions we can go with that, but I want to leave you with this. Eternal life is, is lived out, it is experienced when we live out the great commandment and the great commission. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Right? There's so many, so many things that God has told us to do. What is the most important one of them all? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then in, after his resurrection, Jesus gave the command to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations. See, the great commandment and the great commission, choosing to live those things out, will lead to a life of significance and meaning. Committing yourself to love God with everything you are, love your neighbor as yourself, to commit yourself to a life of purpose and meaning by by committing to something greater than you, right? The kingdom of God and making disciples. That is how you live out and experience eternal life now. That sort of life will impact your family to eternity. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the eternal life that you grant us in Christ. Lord Jesus, you are the source of not just physical life, but of spiritual eternal life as well. Help us, Lord, to find that life in you. Make us new. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here today or listening on the radio that has not trusted in you as Lord and Savior, that they would do so now and experience eternal life this day. And so, Lord, we also ask that you would sustain us in our life with you, that you would feed us, that you would nurture us, that you would help us to grow healthy spiritual lives by spending time with you on a regular basis. We pray that all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service of worship today, I invite you to stand and sing our closing hymn, number 224, Jesus Lives and So Shall I.
by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace. Thank you.